Uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 21 today. Um, primarily, there's a lot of other verses, but uh, going to split it up in Matthew 21. We're going to be doing verses 23 to 27 and then 28 to 32. Um, 28 to 32 is a parable about the two sons. Uh, 23 to 27 is the uh, what preceded that, which was the leaders questioning Jesus' authority. Briefly pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you for using this imperfect vessel uh, that shall not hinder the going forth of your hinder your the going forth of your word, uh, which will surely accomplish what you set it out to accomplish, um, and may it bear much fruit in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. And so, we're going to start at Matthew twenty-one verse twenty-three, and it reads. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So he's in the middle of teaching, right? They just come up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? I tell you what, Jesus, boy, you don't want to get into an argument with him. Because he, he, he puts them in a no-win situation here. They're either going to have to profess ignorance or admit the truth. All right? So, so competent or dishonesty? You know, incompetence or dishonesty? So I'll answer your question with a question. And if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. <laughs> and he gets to the baptism of John. And so they huddled together. They all knew the answer, but they huddled together. And they said, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I don't know if that shade or not. I'll have to ask my daughters, whatever, but I think uh, major shade. Okay. <laughs> you know, when they're questioning these things, if you, these, these activities followed rather successful, uh, successively, um, uh, just shortly before, the day before, I believe, Jesus went into the temple and he 
just ransacked the place, got all the money changers out of there and said, it is written that my father's house shall be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers, a den of thieves, right? So he comes in and he just clears the place out and, uh, and tells them, stop bringing that perversion into the house of the Lord. That's one of the things. But he also healed the sick and he taught. He was teaching in the temple. He didn't have a priestly title. He wasn't a scribe. He didn't have authority under the religious order of that day. So they're wondering, what authority do you do these things by? And I look at this and I think about it. You know what? I'm going to do more than think about it. I'm going to... uh, Go out of order of my notes here, uh, uh, Desiree. I want you to go to John chapter 1. It was pretty profound, Jesus' question, okay? John chapter 1, just from the, six, from the verses 6 to 8, it says here, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Are you hearing me? And I must go, I would would advise you all to read John chapter 1, but let's skip down to verse 29. He said, I'm not the one, I'm coming as a precursor, as as someone who's come before the one who is the one. Okay? And so here it is in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. In in Luke chapter 7, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said this of John, I tell you, Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized. 
by him. So, there's a lot there. It says there in Luke 7, that even sinners, publicans, people who were the lowest, considered the lowest on the spiritual totem pole. Spiritually destitute, reviled by God. Religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those of the religious order, looked down on them and thought that there was no redemption for them. And yet, Jesus tells them, eventually later on, I'm going ahead of myself a little bit, that those people, sinners, tax collectors, will enter heaven before you guys. Could you imagine the shock and surprise of hearing that if you are a Pharisee, somebody who's devoted your life to religion, someone who has decided... I am going to devote myself to the things of God. I will not live a life in lasciviousness. I will not live a life of sin. I, I, I have, I'm living upright before God. And, you, and you're being told, those people out there that are living in sin, or that were living in sin, they're going in heaven before you do. But he prefaces all this with this encounter, with this question about John. Is this important? Okay. John was a miracle birth himself. All right. It, it wasn't an immaculate reception, uh, immaculate conception. But it was nonetheless a miraculous one. Because his mother, Elizabeth, had been born, uh, had been barren all her life. They had no children. And the angel of the Lord came and declared that they would have a son, told him to name him John, and declared what his purpose in God would be, right? And John, being called by God, the very purpose of his birth was to pave the way for the coming of the Lord, to prepare the hearts of the people to repent and receive the Lord and Savior of the world. That was, that was his calling before God. And you would think that those who would be the ones who would know that the most, the ones who would, whose hearts would be moved the most by this would be those who devoted their lives to the service of God. And yet they're the ones who rejected it. And we've got to be careful to always have a humility, walk with God humbly that would Keep our hearts soft enough to repent before him. Because how many of you know, I can't be the only one here that God is still working on. 
all right? There is a work of salvation that is continuing that God is doing in our lives, and he wants to conform us into the image of his son. All right, but we're going to have to cooperate with that. We don't want to have stubborn hearts. Stubborn hearts that will make us blind to the work of God, right, to what God is doing, and our need to repent and, and, and obey him in what he's doing. And so, you know, this isn't mostly about the Pharisees, but it is a very important, this exchange between he and the Pharisees is important for us to look at before we get into the parable that follows it. Because the parable speaks to that conversation. And how many of you know, <laughs> I know, Probably all of us have. Parents, we know we've done that. We know our kids have done this to us. When we ask a question, we already know the answer to it. All right? We ask a question of our kids, and we know they know the answer to it, but they don't want to give us the answer. They'll just say, I don't know. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, really? You don't know? They're being dishonest in that situation. Now, all of us have done it. And look at their quandary, what they were dealing with. They were like, well, um, if we say it's from heaven, he'd say, okay, well, then you got your answer. Why did you reject his baptism? Why did you not, you know, why did you not get baptized then? So we can't deny him because the people acknowledge that he's a prophet. So we'll just say we don't know. They chose Ignorance. They chose to look ignorant than to admit the truth. Think about that. So, I don't want to belabor that. I want to go on to verse 28. So, we saw in those three passages that I read, the two and in John, the one in Luke. John was ordained by God to do what he did. His baptism was of God. It was essential, the repentance. And the Pharisees rejected it. And right on the heels of Jesus saying, you won't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. Is he, he starts it off by saying, what do you think? In other words, tell me what you think about this. He's talking to the same people. This conversation is still going on between him and the Pharisees and the elders of the people. It's who he's telling the parable to. A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. Ooh. No parent wants to, wants, to, wants to deal with that. But he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. 
Now, he didn't go to these sons at once and ask the same question. He asked each of them the question separately. You know, God's call, when he calls us, it's between us and him, right? It's an individual call. I'm calling you to me. I'm calling you to serve me. And our answer, we're gonna, it's just between us and God. We're going to either say yes, Lord, or we're going to say no. And so he asked the first, and he asked the second. The second son had a totally different answer. He answered and said, I go, sir. Very respectful. One problem, he didn't go. And Jesus asked the question to the ones questioning his authority, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John, and he tells them why, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, even when you saw, when you saw that even the tax collectors, those who were not pursuing God, those who had not lived a life of walking with God, when you saw that they even repented, You did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So he tells this story about a man who had two sons. Now, it says the man owned a vineyard, but that's a secondary issue in this story. And while the father plays a pivotal role in the story, he's not the main character. The story isn't really about him as much as it is about his two sons. And their responses to his authority. He gave each son separately an instruction. Some say he asked. He didn't ask. He told them. He gave them a command. Go into the vineyard. I want to talk about the first son for a second. Then we'll move forward. He said he wouldn't do it but later changed his mind and did it. His initial response was one of disobedience, his verbal response. But he had a change of heart. And I believe his initial response, I, I think we can infer from it, that his initial response was born out of self-interest. He was only thinking about himself and what he wanted to do and what he did not want to do. Working in the vineyard didn't appeal to him. He wanted nothing to do with it. So he told his father, no. That father showed great restraint, I think. But somewhere along the way, his thinking began to change. He stopped thinking about only about what he himself wanted, and he began to consider the command of his father. And as he considered his father's command, I believe he was reminded how good and loving his father was. 
And as he pondered how good and loving his father was, he was reminded of his own love for his father and how important it was to him that he pleased the heart of his father. And I think that shift in his thinking and focus inevitably led the first son to repentance. You know, a lot of times the crux of the matter before God is, is we, we've got to settle the issue whether we want to go our own way or God's way. Whether we want to do things the way we want to do them or we're going to obey what God says. Are you hearing me? Now, that does not mean that we're going to be perfect. His response was terrible. His verbal response was terrible. He said, I'm not going to do it. He's likened to the prostitutes and the tax collectors, those who initially chose not to live a life for God. But when the word of God was sent forth, when the man of God came along and challenged them to repent, they repented. They humbled themselves and repented and, and gave the right response to God's, to God's command. Are you hearing that? And so it's not where you start, it's where you finish. He started off saying, I'm not going to do it, but he had a change of heart and did it. Let's contrast that with the second son. The second son's verbal response was perfect. Now, as a father, that's what I'm wanting to hear right there. I don't want to hear, but dad, da, da, da. yes, sir. Right? And he says, his verbal response was perfect as far as verbal responses go. It seemed humble and very respectful. I go, sir. I know, it's not that I will go. I go. I, I go. I'm on my I'm going to go do this. And he never went. He did not follow that up with action. He never obeyed the command of his father. And despite his wonderful words, his disobedience proved the lack of respect that resided in his heart toward his father. The second son resembles the Pharisees and those elders that came out to the Lord. Because, again, we're talking about John's baptism. Who accepted it and who rejected it? Prostitutes, tax collectors, those who are on the bottom rung, they were able to be convinced and say, you know what? This is a man of God here. What he's saying, I need to listen to. And you know what? I've been living my life wrong. I've been living my, a life of sin. I, I'm convicted right now. And I, God is challenging me, and I'm going to respond in the right way. They saw their need to repent before God. The Pharisees... Sadducees, these elders, they talk a good game. They, they know how to give the religious talk. I believe the point of this parable is pretty clear. What matters is whether or not we're living for God. If we're saying all the right things, 
but not walking in obedience and living and walking with God in faithful obedience, then we're disobedient children. However, praise God that we're in a new covenant that's established on better promises and there is grace and there is mercy. All right? Because I don't always start off with, yes, Lord. When God speaks to me to do something in my heart I don't really want to do, I I respond like the first son. "Mm, No, not feeling that. All right? And and God is a good father. He's a patient father. And he, he, he doesn't just reject me and turn me away. He continues to deal with my heart. And at the core of my heart is a desire to please him. And at some point, that's, that's why you got to settle, settle that issue in your heart, all right? You know, what, is, is your primary objective to please your own self or to please the heart of God? And I say we got to settle that issue in our hearts because there's always going to be uh, uh, situations that come into our lives that put us in conflict. And we're, it's decision time. And what's going to be the guiding principle of our decision? Do I do what I want to do or do I do what God wants me to do? And it doesn't have to be pretty. Um, You know, we're going to watch War Room later today. Wasn't pretty. Beautiful result. It was, uh, there was a lot of challenges there. Uh, But by God's grace, they work through them. But what matters is not as much what we're professing, but what we're doing. The religious leaders were good at talking righteous talk, but their stubborn hearts and religious mindsets made them blind to their own need to repent. I still say it had to be a shock to them to be told that (laughs) repentant prostitutes and tax collectors will enter heaven before them. And I want to, I want to pay special attention to when he said, when he said that they're going to enter heaven before you. And he said, when you saw it, when you saw these people repenting before God, you did not afterward relent and believe him. That was the evidence. When you're seeing sinners repent before God, that was evidence that should have, that should have sold you on what was going on. but you rejected the very evidence that God put forth. And Titus, as Titus 1.16 says, they professed to know God, but they denied him by their works. And I'm going to share a few scriptures with you all and Believe it or not, uh, 
each of these scriptures, uh, about four or so of them. I'm going to be sharing uh, these with you as I uh, wind it down here. Ephesians 2. is what I'm looking at, but we'll go 8 to 10. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So salvation is not a result of works. We're not going to get confused here. It's not a result of works. It's a gift from God. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right? Our our works can't get us saved, but we're expected to produce good works as evidence of the salvation of God that is in us. Amen? All right. And so, again, it's not on on the bad, good, better, best scale. Neither of the sons did the best, all right? So both of their responses had some flaws in them, all right? All right? But the first son is, is the closest one. That, that, that's where we want to make our baseline. You know, that's, that's the good. That's the better. The best would be to say, yes, Lord, and respond immediately, all right? That's what I would challenge us to do. When God speaks to our hearts, when the word of God goes forth and God convicts us towards something uh, in in some area, that that, that, that we resolve that quickly and say, oh, Lord, I've been out of order in this. I'm choosing obedience to you, and I'm bringing my life in obedience to you in this area. I'm not going to delay or dawdle on this. I'm going to obey you in this. Thank you, Father, for bringing this to my attention, for it is my... Uh, I want to be like the psalmist said, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, I think it's Psalm 119, verse 11. Uh, thy word I've hidden in your heart, and I memorized it in King James Version. So, uh, But that's the gist of it. There is a, it speaks to a commitment to know God's word, to know God's commandment, because you've decided that you're going to live your life by his command. So while we're not saved by works, we're expected, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk in them. Uh, Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 say this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives In the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave, here we go, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what? Good works. Now, the father called them into his vineyard, and the father had a right to call them into his vineyard.
He doesn't want idle sons. He wants sons that he wants to instill the proper work ethic in his sons. He wants his sons to be out there and, and, and be working. God wants us to be about our father's business. Our father is calling us into his vineyard. And he expects us to be exhibiting the fruit of the spirit as we go about our lives, right? Not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit. He expects us to obey him in the practicing of the one another's of scripture and, and, and just how we conduct ourselves circumspectly in the earth. But he is purifying for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh, Father, light that fire in us that we would be zealous, zealous to do the works of our heavenly Father. First Corinthians 15, verse 58. And I'm again, I, I, I like to be repetitive and belabor the point. I want you to know as many scriptures as uh, you might need and hopefully that one or more of them may really resonate with you on a personal level and it could be a scripture you take forward from here today with you. All right? Uh, that becomes a bedrock scripture for you. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And as we work for the Lord, it, it does not matter. It may not pay off exactly how we want it to in that moment, but we need to know that our God is a good God. Our labor for him will never be in vain. So we don't have to be weary in well-doing. We can continue to work in the Lord in knowing that somehow, someway, our faithful God will make, it, make that labor to be not in vain. You may have been plugging along for months or years, and you've been laboring in something. You've been believing God for a certain result, a result that has not come to pass yet. You know, the result you're looking for, it may not come to pass in your lifetime. I don't, I don't remember how many months ago, but I, I preached a message like that before, you know, again, and I think I alluded to it last week, but think about all, think about Abraham, the wonderful promise that God gave him. You should be the father of many nations. Did he live to see that promise come to pass? He knew when it was given to him, it was a promise, the fulfillment of which would be well beyond his lifetime. But he died believing. He entrusted that to God and not, never did it enter into his mind that there would be a doubt that it would come to pass. He was so convinced of it that when God called him to sacrifice his son, he, he did not hesitate. He was willing to go do it because he reckoned Okay, God said the promise is going to be fulfilled through this son, Isaac. So either he's going to provide a substitute or he's going to raise him back from the dead. But his pro he was so convinced in his promise, he trusted God even with the life of his son. 
And he shared that vision. He shared the promise of God with his son, who then shared it with his son. And they continued to pass the promise of God along from generation to generation to generation because the promise was to outlive them. Not everything God has you put your hand to is meant for you to see the full manifestation of it. You may not know it while you're in the middle of it, but you just got to know what God's word says and believe that the work you are doing is not in vain. If you know that God's called you to do it, then do it full of faith, believing that it's going to, uh, that God's going to do with it uh, what he will, and it will honor God, and God will bless that work. Whether you see the finish of it or not is not the issue. Let the issue just be whether or not you did what God told you to do. Regardless of the result, if you did what God told you to do, that's a win. So we, we, we got to define win properly, right? Because if God tells us to do something, we feel like, okay, he wants us to have a certain amount of victory in this. And so we get in our minds that, that, that we expect certain results to happen. And if those results don't happen, then we question whether or not we spent our time wisely in the things of the Lord. Don't, don't let the results dictate to you whether or not your time was in vain or not. Regardless of the result, if you're sure that God told you to do what you did and you obeyed him in it, that's victory. That's victory. Trust the results to God. And there is no thing that is too small, no thing that is insignificant that you do for God. You hear me? Your labor for God is not in vain. All right, so he's purifying for himself, for people zealous for good works. The labor that we do for God is not in vain. So, May as well James won this thing and say, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Let, let's, let's be doers of God's word. Let's be about God's business. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. What does it say? He will be blessed in his doing. If we labor for the Lord, if we do what thus says the Lord, we will be blessed in our doing. So let's make sure that what we're doing is what God has for us to do. Let's make sure we're obeying God scripturally in the way that we walk before him. And I want to... The final scripture I'm going to share with you today is the uh, Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60. And it's simply, and I really like the heart of the scripture. Um, that's why I shared it. When I think on my ways, how many of you know we got to think on our ways? 
Another scripture says that we ought to examine ourselves to see if we be of the faith. All right? If I'm, you know, if I'm having an attitude towards my wife and I'm, I'm not being stone-hearted about it, you know, and there's opportunities for reconciliation and there's opportunities for me to forgive, there's opportunities, you know, for me to walk in love and, and I'm just steamrolling right right over those opportunities, right? You know, I, I may be a child of God, but I am not in the, I'm not operating in, of the faith in that moment, right? <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm being the second son, not the first one in that scenario, right? And so God's word is clear. He has said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm to do the works of the Lord, okay? Those works include a lot of things, including your relationship with your loved ones, with your wife. Am I going to obey God all right, in loving my wife as Christ loved the church? A am I willing to give myself for her? Am I willing to be sacrificial, take the hit as it were? All right, humble myself and, and forgive if there has been an offense and walk in love there. Are we able to do that? Are we willing to do that? Do we give lip service and say, hey, I forgive? Oh, yeah, but I don't forget. And I, I get it. I get it. We're not going to forgive. I mean, we're not going to forget everything. But we can choose forgiveness. And where it's hard, we can choose to say, God, I'm committed to this forgiveness thing. It's a struggle for me. Give me the grace to walk in it. Help me. Give me the grace to walk in it, to choose to walk in love. When my flesh wants to do the opposite, I'm committed to honor you. Help me do it. We don't want to be ones that say the good thing, the thing that feels good to say, the things we want to believe that we're doing when our actions are not matching what we're saying. We profess the Lord. Okay, well, then let's walk in these things. Are you hearing me? And he says, when I think on my ways... Let's think on our ways, y'all, uh, uh, repeatedly. I turn my feet to your testimonies, testimonies of God. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. See, when I consider my ways, I'm considering my ways in light of your testimonies. And where my ways do not accord with your testimonies, I hasten and do not delay. You know, I, there's a, there is a, I'm reading a little bit into that, but there is a desire to be in conformity with God's word and God's will. And when there is a contradiction between my ways and God's word, then my heart wants to quickly get in line with God's word. I hasten and do not delay. That may not be you in some areas of your life. You may not be wanting to hasten to do it. But let that be your target. Let that be your goal. Let that be a point of prayer focus and that, that, that you would be one that would hasten to conform to what God's word says in areas where you may not be in conformity. Are you hearing that?
So the parable itself demonstrates the religious leader's failure to respond appropriately or in the right manner to John the Baptist's uh, uh, prophetic ministry and the baptism of John. They did not live up to their talk. The fruit of our lives will ultimately prove whether or not we're obedient to God. It does not mean we should not make the right professions. It does mean that profession is not where we should park. It would probably serve us better or serve us best if we were to um, if, if, if we were to be slow to speak a lot of times. The second son was quick to speak. Yes, sir, I'll do it. I'm doing it now. On it. Didn't do a thing. And I suppose if I had a choice, hard choice, if I had a choice, I guess I'd rather, if I only had these two options, I'd rather my child ex ex express an unwillingness to do something but end up doing it than to tell me they're on it and not do it. So we're not talking about standards of perfection here. He just gave them two options. And I, I love the way, I love that he did that uh, because it, to me, it, it underscores the fact that, you know, perfection is not the standard here, right? <laughs> so it gives us room to come from our emotional issues, uh, the stuff that we're dealing with, the, the, the things that we got to work to to get to the point to where we're able to say, yes, Lord. And I just want to give you, I just want you to not allow yourself to condemn yourself or to let the enemy beat you up. If you're in that place, it's okay. God is patient enough. He's merciful enough. He's loving enough to give you space and time to work out those issues that you got to work through in order to get to the point to where you can say, yes, Lord. And notice the dad, the way this scripture is written um, in the parable the dad did not berate the first son. It doesn't really say, uh, it doesn't come back and, and, and tie the bow and, and give you a you know, whatever the interaction was between the father and son after he said yes. Um, that, that's why I believe the main characters here are the sons. The dad is a secondary character. Because at the end of the day, it's about the heart of the sons. It's about our hearts. It's about what we are going to do. Not what our neighbors, not what, you know, uh, not what our enemies, not what other people do. It's about what we are going to do and how we are going to respond to God's command. And so let's filter out all that other stuff um, because here's the, you know, these Pharisees and Sadducees and elders, they probably, when, when they looked at themselves compared to, the, compared to the tax collectors and prostitutes, compared to them, they're good. 
you can see how they would think they wouldn't need repentance. Because if you compare yourself to somebody else, you know, you can always find somebody you're better off than. If we get to comparing ourselves with other people, that's when we can slip into more relevance. That's when we can slip into justifying uh, actions and, and things that are not that should that are not biblically justifiable. Right? And, and we've got to stop with the comparisons, especially those that would make us feel confident about where we stand. Because it's not about where we are in comparison to someone else. It's about what God's word says. All right, and we've got, that's where we've got to anchor ourselves, all right? What does God's word say, all right? And what does God require of me? His commandments are clear, right? So what does God's word say? How should I conduct myself? How should I walk? What should I do with my thoughts? If a thought exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, if it's contradictory to the character and word of Christ, Okay, then I, I can't allow that to take root in my mind. I, I'm, I'm going to have to pull that down, and I'm going to have to exalt the truth of God's word. All right, I mean, we're told to do that. That's not a suggestion. All right, and so we're going to when when so when people try to influence us into thinking in those ways and elevating thoughts that are contrary to what we know to be right in God. We may be tempted for a moment. We may even entertain him for a while, like the be disobedient like the first son initially. But our hearts should be expected to turn at some point and say and realize, you know what? This is very dishonoring to my father. This is not being obedient to my heavenly father. And and, and my heart is to please him. Right. And so that should be the thing that guides us uh, as we are going through the various issues of life. You know, I can't sit here and give you A, B, C, D, E instructional for everything. Right. At some point, you know, we're going to have to let God be God and everyone else a lie. At some point, we're just going to have to trust God and, and just commit ourselves to obey what the word of God says, and just trust him for the results. Let the chips fall where they may. And so let's be, let's be faithful sons and daughters. Then when God says go in the vineyard, we're working in the vineyard. He didn't even have to ask us really. You know, it's like we're zealous to do good works for Jesus. Amen. We're co- Lord, just use us. Lord, we want to be used. The, the Father doesn't have to come and tell me to work in his vineyard because I'm coming up to him and asking him, what can I do for you in the vineyard? Amen. Let's be the children of God that is going before God. What would you have me do today, Father? Hallelujah. I would, I would ask you to stand. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord, that you've spoken to us. Um, the two different short passages in Matthew correlate to one another. The sons, in their own way, 
challenged your authority like the religious leaders did in the pre previous passages. One just verbally told you, no, I'm not going to do it. Rejected it verbally, but had a change of heart and repented like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and sinners did how they responded to John's baptism and his prophetic ministry. The other son said the right thing, but his actions disrespected your authority. It showed you that he took for granted, thought your authority to be a light thing, not something to be weighted and respected and acted on. We thank you for, for teaching us these things, Lord, for they are instructive for us. Father, I know there are already people here today that you have been speaking to, that you've been challenging in one way or another to repent of this one thing or to, or to go out and do another. And maybe like the first son, they've said no up to this point. Let this be the time, let this be the moment, let this be the day where their hearts turn. You've been patiently waiting, still loving them, still wooing them, still blessing them, still working in them both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Let this be the day, let this be the moment that their heart turns and they repent. And they do the thing that you have commanded them to do. Whether it's a discontinuation of one thing or a delving into another. Let their obedience to you, Father God, come to pass. And Father, there may be those who have said yes to you, but have not acted. Father, I want them to know that there is now no condemnation. They too are son, a son and a daughter of the father. Their response was not adequate, but they, like the first son, like the first son, also have the opportunity and ability to repent. Father, if their words honored you, but their hearts were far from you, turn their hearts to you. And let them see you as their heavenly father and, and, and let their hearts desire be to please you. To honor you. 
to respect you. Make us all, Jesus, purify us and make us all people, sons and daughters of God who are zealous to do good works for the kingdom of heaven. It is our desire to do those things, but make us zealous for them, Father. And give us the heart that was exhibited in that final verse, Psalm 119, that we would think on our ways and turn our, turn our feet or turn our attention to your testimonies. then we will hasten and not delay to obey you. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we give you honor and praise. Be glorified in us and through us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.